Amen. We're in First uh, Samuel tonight. We're uh, kicking off in chapter 20. And uh, chapter 20 of First Samuel picks up, picks up on the heels of uh, David escaping Saul's assassination attempts. Uh, Saul tried to, uh, a few times to kill David in Throughout his life, he tried to kill David a number of different times, but leading into chapter 20, we can recall from chapter 19, whether we know the chapter well or just a quick refresher here, um, you know, David, uh, or Saul had attempted to cast a spear at David a few different times, um, and then uh, David uh, had to have his wife cover for him as he sent, uh, as Saul sent men to uh, to take David's life, and, and David escapes uh, that, that last assassination attempt, and he's fleeing. And it's interesting because um, we all know from, from a study of uh, you know, the earlier chapters of, of Samuel, as well as other books of the Bible, that Samuel has a family. You know, he has seven brothers in the military. Um, he's probably got, he's, he's a commander of the armies. I mean, th- there's a number of different places that Samuel can flee for protection, Physical protection. Um, Samuel, I feel like I've said Samuel a few, few times already, but maybe it's Saul Sam. Um, but David could likely escape to many different places to find protection from Saul. But he escapes to Samuel, um, and and that's that's an interesting choice for protection because at this point Samuel's kind of retired. You know, he's uh, not necessarily going to bear arms with David. Uh, but but there's there's that sense there's that connection that spiritual connection and this spiritual awareness in David's heart that that more than a physical battle he he's dealing with he's dealing with spiritual warfare through Saul's heart and in Saul's attempts to kill him and so so David um, he he runs to Samuel um, maybe hopes to grab some form of spiritual encouragement spiritual wisdom maybe a word from the Lord but um, but that's where we pick up in chapter 20. And you'll, you'll remember even towards the end of chapter 19 that Saul sent um, countless amounts of, not countless amounts, but a couple of different times he sent assassins to try to take David out while he was there with, with Samuel. And those assassins would come and they would come onto the scene. They would fall underneath the power of the Holy Spirit. They would start to prophesy. Uh, and then Saul ended up getting so frustrated with that that you know many times in our flesh, right, when, when the Lord is intended doing uh, things the, the way or however quickly we want to, we, we take matters into our own hands. And that's kind of what Saul did, not to, not to try to say that you know, he, he should have just waited on the Lord, because obviously this is completely outside of the Lord's will, but you know, we can relate to Saul. You know, if something's not getting done, I'm going to go do it myself. And, and so Saul picks up his weapons and charges out there, and then he himself falls underneath you know, the power of the Holy Spirit and, and falls on his face and uh, he's humbled in that moment. He's humbled at the power of God um, and, and how, you know, when the Spirit of the Lord fell over, even Saul, a determined man, uh, he, was, he was nothing. He was nothing in the power of, of the Lord. So, so that's where we pick off here in 1 Samuel chapter 20. And it says, uh, Then David fled from Naoth in Ramah, where, where he was with, with Samuel, and he went and said to Jonathan, so he's, he's fleeing from Samuel, from uh, Naoth and Ramah. He's fleeing from there. He's going kind of back home now that he knows that Samuel is, is there in Ramah. He, he flees back to Jonathan and says, and, and, he, and when he gets to Jonathan, he says, What have I done? 
What is my iniquity and what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? So in this verse, um, you know, David is fleeing and he's fleeing back to home. Um, and, and it's just a, a testament to, to how sweet of a relationship uh, David and Jonathan has. He, he goes first to Jonathan and, and uh, you can hear the sincerity um, as, as he's crying out to Jonathan. Like, tell me something. Tell, give me something. You know, you, you live with your dad. You live with Saul. Tell me anything. If, if there's something I can change to make Saul like me, to make this all stop, you know, please, you know, throw me a bone here. Um, and, and, and so Jonathan said to him, he said, By no means you shall not die. Indeed, my father will do nothing, either great or small, without first telling me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. And then David took an oath again and said, Your father certainly knows that I have found favor in your eyes. And he said, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. So, so Jonathan... And David, they both see Saul very, very differently, right? And, uh, and how true that can be even in our own lives. You know, I'm, I'm sure that you guys have all experienced that moment where you're, you're talking to somebody um, and, and, some, some, and, and somebody else who's not present comes up, you know, and, and you, you share your thoughts towards that person. And, and you've probably experienced, you know, sometime in your life and that person's like, ooh, you know, like, what? Really, like you, you think like you know, different perspective, different. You know, m- maybe it's the season in your life that you met them. Maybe it's the place that you met them. You know, may- maybe it was the circumstance in their life of when you met them. But but you, we've we've all come to those you know situations where we think very differently of somebody than somebody else. You know, um, and so so we we can understand that you know David has this one view of of Saul, and we can understand um, you know from from this passage that Jonathan sees his father much much different, and uh, so so Jonathan basically says you know listen David you know I you know whatever whatever you think you know I'll I'll let you think that but I I got your back bro so if you think this one way of of Saul my dad and and I am I'm convinced otherwise you know tell me tell me what you want to do here give me a plan because I got your back so you know spit out a plan and 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 I got your back that's kind of Jonathan's response as he says so Jonathan said to David you know whatever you desire I'll do it for you there in verse four and so David lays out this plan. He says, um, David said to Jonathan, indeed tomorrow is the new moon. Um, and uh, the new moon back then was really, um, it was something that they would celebrate. Um, it wasn't necessarily you know, having to do with the, 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 the moon rotations per se. It was the start of a month. You know, so it was an opportunity for people to kind of Give, give a second to give some glory, some praise towards what God has done. Look forward to God, you know, what, what God's going to do kind of next. It was just this ceremonial tradition that they would have back then where, where they, would, um, they would obviously come together and eat. So there's this new moon celebration. And so David said to Jonathan, indeed, tomorrow's the new moon. And I should not fail to sit with the king to eat. Uh, but let me go that I may hide in the field until the third day at evening. 
If your father misses me at all, then say David earnestly asks per, asked permission of me that he might return. He, I'm sorry, that he might run over to Bethlehem, his city, uh, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. If he says thus, it is well, your servant will be safe. But if he is very angry, be sure that evil is determined by him. Therefore you shall deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. Nevertheless, if there is iniquity in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? So David is basically what he's saying. He's laying out a plan. And, uh, and the plan does accomplish its goal, as we're going to read in the coming verses. Um, but, but he lays out this plan, uh, and he asks Jonathan in that plan, he asks Jonathan to lie on, on his behalf. And so he has Jonathan make up this story to really test Saul's heart. You know, and it's, it's important to note that the Lord doesn't condone lying, right? I mean, so he's got this plot, the plot ends up working, and, you know, the message that we want to take, one of the messages we want to take away from our study here isn't that the Lord must have been okay with the lie. Um, you know, David, um, David's plan ends up working, and God is gracious and merciful towards David, but, uh, and, and he doesn't end his ultimate goal and purpose for David's life on the spot, because he could. I mean, God could be like, you know what, David, I thought was a man after my own heart, but here he's lying, and he's coming up with a crafty plan. He could write David off, you know, but he doesn't. Um, but, you know, why I stop and point that out is, is um, well, well, you know, I think, you know, as, as we look at David's life here, and as we look at David's life throughout um, the, throughout the Bible, um, you know, we're going to see times when David's crafty plans work and his crafty ideas um, save the day. You know, we're going to see it even as, as we jump into 21. We're going to see how his plans will ultimately, you know, come to pass and, and the Lord will let them pass. And, and it saves his life or it might save the day, but um, we're also going to see times when David's, David will let God be his defender. We're going to see times when he's going to allow God to provide the wisdom. And when he allows God to lay out the plan, it doesn't just save the day, it saves his soul. You know, and I think the same is true a lot for us. You know, um, when, when we lay down our cunning plans sometimes, when, when we have these really crafty plots to find ways to get what we might want, you know, um, those are, those are the times that, that we might, um, ultimately, that might come to pass, and we might get what we want, we might get what we desire. But when, when we lay that down just for a moment, you know, when, when we let go of our ideas, our wisdom, our plans, uh, our crafty plots, and we just let God be God, then God gets the glory, you know, and, and when we see God glorified in our own lives, it does produce something within our soul. You know, that, that only the Holy Spirit can produce a sense of confidence and trust in who our Savior is, a deeper understanding of and greater love uh, that, that we have for Jesus. When, when we say, you know what, I'm, I'm, ultimately, Lord, you know my heart, and you know that this is what I desire, but, you know, let, let your will be done. And, and when we just trust in that and we let that moment come to pass, those are the moments where, you know, when it does come to pass and we didn't mingle with it, we didn't get our hands involved, we didn't lay out some kind of a, you know, crafty plan, and God allows it to come forth, we're just stuck like, oh, God, you are so good. 
you know, and, and, and when God is glorified in your life, it's just, you know, it, it, do, it's, it's, it, it does, it just, one more part of your soul is just won over, won over to, to his love, to his purpose, to his reality, you know, and, and you go deeper in your relationship with him because, you know, he shows himself strong when, uh, when, when we're weak and he we shows himself strong when we just let him be who he is. Um, so, so that's why I bring it up and I kind of draw on that point because, you know, David, this, this plan's going to pass, um, but, you know, if David just stayed right there, if he didn't come up with that cunning plan, you know, we might have seen a much different set of circumstances, and we might have seen another miracle recorded in the book. You know, who knows? But, um, you know, David's plan is going to win the day, um, but it's not going to involve the Lord being glorified. But picking up here in verse 9... Uh, he's, but Jonathan said, Far be it from you. For I knew certainly that evil was determined, for if I knew certainly that evil was determined by my father to come upon you, then would I not tell you? Um, then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me? Or what if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, come, let us go into the fields. David has his opportunity to come up with a crafty plan, and here's Jonathan's. So both of them went into the field. Then Jonathan said to David, the Lord God of Israel is witness. When I have sounded out my father sometime tomorrow or the third day, and indeed there is good toward David, and I do not send to you to tell you, and, and tell you, may the Lord do so, so and much more to Jonathan. But if it pleases my father to do you evil, then I will report it to you and send you away that you may go in safety. So this isn't actually Jonathan's crafty plan. He's basically just letting, he's just providing David with a sense of, of comfort and assurance that I, I'm, I'm, we're going to do this and I'm going to find a way to tell you whether or not it's safe here or whether or not you, you do need to go. And, and the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. And you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I may not die, but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. So here in these verses, Jonathan provides really a breath of fresh air, I think, to, to David's heart. You know, David sees him, as we just read, as we kicked off chapter 20, uh, David sees him but one step before life and death. I mean, David, his heart, his emotion right now, he really feels that I am, I am but one step before, you know, death. And uh, what a great sense of encouragement that Jonathan is providing him here because he, he's reminding David that he will be king someday. You know, he sees, the incur he sees the writing on the wall. He sees that God is with David. You know, and, um, and, and, and it's, it's, it's a blessing, right, when, when we're down to have a friend in the Lord come behind us and just whisper the truths of, of the gospel, whisper us the truths of God's promises, uh, point out all the things that God has done in our lives. Point out, help us to, you know, take a moment to take our eyes off in the circumstances and just maybe, maybe help us to just count the blessings that we have. And Jonathan's kind of doing that for David right now. He's saying, the Lord's with you. 
and you will be king someday. And, and for David, David, just he didn't see that right now. He saw death. And, and, and Jonathan sees him as a king someday. So a, a wonderful encouragement for a friend. But beyond the encouragement, Jonathan's also asking for a promise, right? It wasn't uh, very... Um, it was very typical, right, in these days when you had a new family take the throne, that you would, um, as, as that new family stepped into the throne, that that family would uh, wipe out the family prior. They would slaughter that family. You know, men, women, children, it didn't really make a difference because it secured their kingship, right? It secured it so David's son and that bloodline would continue for as long as um, for as long as the, the Lord would allow it. So Jonathan's basically saying, listen, I know you're going to be the next king. You know, you're going to make it through this, and, but promise me this. I'll do this for you, but, but promise me that when, when you do become king, don't kill me or, or my family. You know, save, save me, Jonathan, and my, and my family, and, and allow us to live. So, so Jonathan kind of says, you know, I, I know that the Lord's with you. I'm going to commit to this plan. I know you're going to be king. When you become king, um, please allow myself and, and, and my heir, my, my children, my family, my lineage to, to live on. And now, now Jonathan again caused David to vow because he loved him. For he loved him as his own soul. And then Jonathan said to David, Tomorrow is the new moon, and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. And when you have stayed three days, go down quickly and come to the place where you hid on the day of, uh, of the deed. And remain by the stone, uh, by the stone Izel, or is Ezel. Um, and then I will shoot three arrows to the side, as though I shot at a target. And there I will send a lad. You know, uh, Jonathan's the king's son, so he apparently has uh, lads, lads hanging around to go fetch arrows when he misses the target. He'll send the lad saying, "Go find the arrows." If I expressly say to that lad, "Look, the arrows are on this side of you. Go get them and." Come, then as the Lord lives, there is safety for you and no harm. So he's saying, if, if I'm going to shoot these arrows, I'm going to miss the target, and you're going to be hiding somewhere in the brush. If I say, go get those and, and, and come, um, then, then David, you're going to know that there's safety for you and you can kind of come back home. But if I say thus to the, you know, the, the young man, look, the arrows are beyond you. Go your way, for the Lord has sent you away. Uh, and as the matter which you and I have spoken of, indeed the Lord be between you and me forever. So he's basically, you know, he's going to be out there shooting, shooting arrows with this young lad, and however he speaks to the young lad will provide David with an understanding of, of what to do, what being, you know, whether he should come back home or whether or not he actually does, in fact, need to flee. All right, so then David hid in the field. And when the new moon had come, the king sat down to eat the feast. Now, uh, the, the king sat on his seat at, at, uh, as at other times. Um, on, I'm sorry. Now, the king sat on his seat as at other times on a seat by the wall. <laughs> um, and Jonathan arose, and Abner sat by Saul's side. But David's place was empty. Nevertheless, Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought something had happened to him. He is unclean. Surely he is unclean. Um, so 
here, like when, when Saul notices that David's not here and he says, oh, oh no, something's happened to him, it's not like the, oh no, I hope he's okay kind of a thing, right? I mean, Saul could really care less. He wants to see David, he wants to see David, um, you know, probably hung or mantled on a wall. I mean, he, he, but he wants to just, he wants to keep tabs of him because he, he fears him. Uh, David is a real threat to him. Um, so, He's very aware that, that David didn't come to the dinner, but he thought um, and, and was you know he thought he must be unclean. So that there's a number of different things that would make you ceremonial unclean back then, and especially David as a commander of, of the army, he could have come up across a dead body. He could have been you know the reason why there was a dead body, and 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 David. There's a number of different reasons why David might not have shown up to dinner on the first night. So I think you know somewhere in Saul's head, he's like he's writing this off as. You know, this is acceptable. That's just happening just this first time. And it happened, though, on the next day, the second day of the month, that David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, Why has the son of Jesse not come to eat, either yesterday or today? So here, you know, the temperature's rising up. We're gonna get, it's going to get real. Um, so he, he's saying, and he's not even calling him David, right? He's... he's He's had a whole day to fest. You ever fester on something for a whole day, and then by the time that 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 you know you don't let the Lord deal with it, and it's just so this this idea of David missing dinner last night is just festered uh, with him all day, and then the second night comes to be, and now it's not even David; it's the son of Jesse. Why is that son of Jesse not come to the to the to dinner? All right, and so. Uh, then Saul's anger, oh no, I'm skipping, see, see what happens when I, uh, so Jonathan answered Saul, uh, David earnestly asked permission, so this is David's idea, right, so David earnestly asked permission of me to go to Bethlehem, and he said, please let me go, for our family has been sacrificed in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there, uh, and now if I have found favor in your eyes, please let me get away and see my brothers. Therefore, he has not come to the king's table. And then, then Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan. And uh, this is the answer to, to, to the riddle, the cunning plan. Is Saul going to get angry or not? Well, he got angry. Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan. Um, and he said to him, uh, you, I mean, his anger was already aroused towards David, but now he's mad at Jonathan for letting for Jonathan allowing him to do this. And he said, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Uh, not a nice thing to, be, to, to, to call your son. Um, not necessarily promoting his wife as well either. Uh, but he says, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Uh, do I not know what you have, uh, I'm sorry, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established, nor your kingdom. Now, therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. So Saul is basically saying, um, uh, he, he, he's, he's obviously angry, but, but the message he's really trying to um, relate to his son in not a very nice kind of a way, he's basically saying, you're acting like an illegitimate child, like you're, 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 and, and that's not to put down illegitimate children in any way. But he, he's looking at his son, and he's like, "Don't you know who your dad is? You're acting like you're not this, the son. 
to the king. You're acting like some illegitimate child. You're acting as if um, you have nothing to lose in David remaining alive. And by the way, you know, all of this, you know, all of these characteristic flaws that you have, these all come from your mother's side. You know, and, and so he's basically laying into his sons, just saying, uh, you know, by, by keeping him alive, by protecting the son of Jesse, um, David is going to be king, and, and your, your son, you're throwing your whole life away. You know, what are you, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And, and Jonathan answered Saul, and uh, there's a number of different ways that you can answer uh, a king, uh, an, an angry king, an angry king that happens to be your dad. Um, and if, you're ang- if, you, if your dad is ever angry and he's the king and his name is Saul and he's acting like Saul, this might not be the way that you want to answer him. But Jonathan answered to Saul and, and he asked him a really great question. He, you know, he said, you know, Saul, his father, and he said to him, why? Why should, uh, why should he be killed? You know, what has he done? I mean, it's a really fair question. I mean, David has done nothing wrong that, that Jonathan knows of. He's done nothing uh, but serve the king and bring him many foreskins of Philistines as many as well as other things of the Philistines. I mean, he's done a number of wonderful things uh, for Saul during his kingship. Uh, but then um, Saul casts a spear at him to kill him. This guy's always got a spear in his hand, too. I think that's why he sits against a, a wall at dinner. So he, I think he's got a, just a row of spears just lined up against him. Uh, but he's always got, this guy's always got a spear in his hand. So he casts a spear uh, to kill him, uh, by which Jonathan knew um, that it was determined by his father to kill David. Uh, so Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had treated him shamefully. You know, th- this, is, this is a really challenging day for Jonathan. I mean, up until this point, Jonathan saw his father in a very, very different light. I mean, just like days ago, Jonathan promised David that my father, there's no bad bone in my dad's body. You know, my dad's the guy that comes home, he, play, he plays basketball with me in the drive. Like, my dad's a good guy. I mean, these are Jonathan's memories of, of his dad. He's, he's a good guy. He is, he's not an evil guy. Um, so, so not only is, is Jonathan awakened to this side of his father, uh, but now he's awakened to this idea that uh, he really does hate David and he loves David. So, so, so this, this is a really rough day for Jonathan. And, and you know, not only does he, is he aware of uh, Saul's true heart towards David and the fact that now his relationship with David will be, will be suffered, his dad just basically chewed him out, threw a spear at him to try to... I mean, this is a really tough tough day for, for Jonathan, you know, and, and, and it, you know, there's, it's been said before that um, the blood is thicker than water, uh, right, and the family stick together, but, but it's also been said that that right is thicker than blood, you know, so I, I think Jonathan has at least that in, in his heart. He knows God's will. He knows what's right. He's choosing what's right. He saw through the plan, even though uh, the day did not end the way that Jonathan hoped for. I think Jonathan ultimately, um, he is, uh, you know, he's upset because his father treated him shamefully, but deep within Jonathan's heart, he knows he's doing the right thing. And, and unfortunately, you know, especially as, as we think about our spiritual lives, our Christian walk, there's going to be times, you know, there's going to be times when, you know, blood is going to suggest one thing and 
you're you're going to know that the Lord's leading you in another direction, you know, and and that that it's not always a great day, you know, when you have to tell your brothers or your sisters or your mom or your dad or or you know that sorry, I mean I you know, it could be a simple thing like I can't make it to that event. I don't feel comfortable there. Or it could be, you know, a simple thing where, I, you know, I'm, I'm leaving the family business, you know, because I, I don't feel right here. The Lord's taking me down a different... There's there's a number of different circumstances, unfortunately, where, you know, the, the Lord... Um, hopefully it doesn't happen, but I think in many of our walks, you know, when, when we serve the Lord, the Lord is now like, you're part of my family. You know, this bloodline family is a beautiful thing, and it's a wonderful thing. Respect your mother, respect your father. You know, uh, the, the Bible is filled with commands that, 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 by the way, they don't have an age limit. You know, every time I want to, you know, try to, you know, you know, darn my mom, you know, what the heck? And, like, doesn't she under, but, but the, you know, the Lord always, you know, tells me, that, you know, to honor your mother and father. The, the, it's not like just because you've passed the age of 35 that that verse doesn't apply to you anymore. So... So it's tough. It's, it's a tough thing when, when we're following the Lord's footsteps and, and they cause us to have to kind of go against the grain of what a family might be doing. So picking up in 35. And so it was in that morning, in the morning, uh, that Jonathan went out into the field at the time appointed when David, uh, at the time appointed with David, and a little lad was with him. And then he said to his lad, Now run, find the arrows which I shoot. As the lad ran, he shot an arrow behind him. When the lad had come to the place where the arrow was, which Jonathan had shot, Jonathan cried out after the lad and said, Is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan then cried out after the lad, Make haste, hurry up, do not delay. So Jonathan, uh, Jonathan's lad gathered up uh, the arrows and came back to his master. Uh, but the lad, had, the lad did not know anything. Only Jonathan and David knew of the matter. And then Jonathan gave his weapons to his lad and, and said to him, Go carry them to the city. And as soon as the lad had gone, David arose from the place toward the south, fell on his face to the ground, and bowed down three times. And they kissed one another, and they wept together. But Jonathan, uh, I'm sorry, but David more so. Uh, so it's, it's at that, this point in time where the, the, the plan, um, it kind of had to be altered uh, just because of just, just how special Jonathan and David's relationships were. Jonathan said, I got to see him one last time. So he, he told the lad to come here quick and sent the lad away. Uh, and, and it's going to give Jonathan and David one last time to, 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 to you know, make their, you know, just to hug one another, give them that, Eastern greeting of kissing one another on, on, on the cheek, and uh, and and so th- this happens, and um, and David was obviously uh, upset um, more more than even Jonathan, and then Jonathan said to David, "Go in peace, since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, May the Lord be between you and me, and between your descendants and my descendants forever." So he arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. Um, definitely a, a, a tough day for the relationship. Jonathan's quick to set one last encouragement of, of just, you know, may the Lord be between us and between our descendants. Uh, they have no idea how soon they're going to see each other, um, and, and, and there's so many different question marks in Jonathan's and David's minds. Um, I, I believe that they believe that they're going to see each other. I, know, I believe that Jonathan believes he's going to see David, 
Um, I'm not too sure if David has that same sense of assurance, but there's so many question marks between the time that they're going to see each other next um, that, that, that it definitely is a somber moment for, for David. Now David came to Nob, uh, to Ahimelech, the priest, and Ahimelech was afraid when he met David and said to him, why are you alone and no one is with you? You know, Ahimelech is afraid because David was the king's son-in-law. He was the commander of an army. Uh, and, and for him to show up alone, uh, it, it caused Ahimelech to be terrified. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't alive back, that, back, you know, a while ago, like in, in the world wars when like, you know, General Patton was just, it was just like a figure, like he was just known and people kind of, you know, I don't even know who the general of our army is today. I, I don't know his name, you know, shamefully, but it kind of be like the general, like General Patton, like kind of coming up to your door and you knowing exactly who he is and he's alone and you're probably just like, why on earth are you here? You know, looking disheveled and tired. So Ahimelech is, it's truly, uh, you know, terrified. And it's also important to understand that by Ahimelech uh, asking and saying, why are you alone? It, it means that Ahimelech had no idea of the falling out between Saul and David, or he would know very well why David was alone. All right, so Ahimelech is uh, very innocent in this whole situation uh, between him and David. And uh, so David responds and, and at, uh, addresses the question of why are you, why are you alone by saying uh, to Ahimelech the priest, the king has ordered me on some business and said to me, do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you or what I have commanded you. And I have directed my young men to such and such a place. Now therefore, what have you, ha- what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand, or whatever can be found. So David um, lays out this crafty lie, right? So at, at first David's asking Jonathan to lie. Now David is basically comes up with this crafty story about why he is alone, and and then he asks him for some some bread. Um, and so Ahimelech responds and says uh, to David. There is no common bread on hand, but there's only holy bread. If the young men have at least kept themselves from, from women. Um, and then David answered the priest and said to him, Truly women have been kept from us for about three days since I came out. And the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in effect common, even though it was consecrated in the vessel this day. So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread, uh, for there was no bread, common bread there, but the showbread, which had been taken from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away. So uh, Ahimelech really, you know, the the ceremonial law of, of the bread would would be and, and should never be, um, you know, supersede the the law of hunger, right? I mean. You know, we saw that even as, as Jesus walked through the fields with his disciples and, and they took, you know, grain and, and ate of it. And, you know, the, the, there was a ceremonial law that the Jews tried to, to get him on. But, you know, even Jesus has, you know, was, was one for, you know, if, if, if there's a hunger issue, a true hunger issue, then that should never supersede the law, the ceremonial law that, that we might, that they held to for, for bread. So it's, um, but now uh, we see that David has uh, some bread, which he gives to David, 
And um, so when you're on the run, there's a couple things you want to do your best to secure. You want to secure some food, you want to secure a weapon, maybe some shelter. And so we see David continuing to think through what else can he, can he ask. And, and, that, and so there in verse 7, it says, Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. And his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chief of, chief of the herdsmen who belonged to Saul. And David said to Ahimelech, Is there not here... Uh, on hand a spear or a sword, for I brought, I brought neither uh, my sword nor my weapons with me because the king's business required haste. So, so David moves on from food to securing a weapon, and you'll notice uh, David is, 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 is again, he's coming up with a lie, or he's coming up, he's building upon this crafty idea, this crafty story, and, and he's... Um, uh, just deceiving in his speech with Ahimelech. Uh, but David uh, gets what he's looking for, and, and we're going to see in the chapters to come that, that deceiving Ahimelech ultimately will cause Ahimelech's life and other priests to be slaughtered. Right? Um, it, it's, it's, you know, the, the Bible brings this, this gentleman, um, Doeg, into the, the picture, not by, you know, it, it's, it's not incidental. You know, we're introduced to Doeg, who ends up turning out to be a, a brutal and, and, and very wicked man. Uh, and David's going to have this weighing on his shoulders um, once, once uh, Ahimelech uh, loses his life over supporting David uh, this day. So the priest said, The sword, of, the, uh, the sword of, the, of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed... In the valley of Elah, there it is, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it. Uh, for there is no other except that one here. And David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. If you stop and think about what David's really saying here, I mean, this, this, this is huge. It wasn't too long ago that David, a, 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 you know, the seventh brother, shows up to the, the, the battlefield, right? He shows up to the battlefield, and um, he was the first one uh, when, every, when, when Goliath was taunting all the armies of Israel. He was the first one to size up Goliath and, and say that he's no match for my God. He's no match. And you'll remember Saul tried to put on armor on him, and, and Saul took off his helmet and took off his armor, and they, they tried to dress David with armor, and he's just like, I can't move. You know, take this stuff off me. I don't need it. I have the Lord with me. You know, they, they come at me with a sword and, and, and spears, and, and, um, and, and I, can't, I can come at them in the name of the Lord. That same David, right, that same David that said, take this armor off of me, who picked up five stones, who trusted in the Lord, who... Um, slew Goliath first shot, right? That same David. I mean, sometimes you read this Bible and you're just like, you, you want to kind of you know, shake the Bible as if you're shaking David. Like, who are you right now? That same David sees Goliath's sword and he looks at it and he says, oh, I must have it. There is none like it. You know, the same David that, that, that found no security in, 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 in a sword or a spear um, just you know, months ago, now looks at this sword and says, I, I got to have it. 
you know, and, and, and it just, it goes to show you that as we walk through life, as, as the circumstances unfold in our life, you know, there's going to be moments when we're, we're walking hand and hand and foot or hand in step with the Lord and things are right and, and our mind's right and our eyes are on Jesus. And, and, and when, as we keep our eyes on Jesus, there's going to be circumstances down here on earth that we can look at and we say, God's got that. He's got that. Don't be afraid. You know, fear not. You know, and, and, then, and then we're all subject to this, right? There's going to be other seasons of our life when we're going to be walking through the, a season of life where we've gotten our eyes a little bit off the Lord. And we look out and we, when we see, you know, political unrest and ac- economic unrest and, 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 and health pandemics, and we look out at, at you, know, um, you know, men and women dying over trying to support, you know, a, a color, and we look out there and we're just like, you know, if, if our eyes aren't on Jesus, we... You know, it, it might cause us to, you know, then start to trust in, oh, man, maybe I should get a security system. Maybe, oh, you know, maybe I should you know, grab the shotgun and, and, and be ready to defend the household. And, you know, th- there's, there's reality in what David's going through. I don't fault David because I can relate. Because I've been through those seasons of my life where my eyes aren't on the Lord and I get caught up in the what-ifs and I get caught up in the fear of the moment, you know. Um, but, but this same David looks at that sword and says, there, there's none like it. And so not only does he not not only does he encourage Jonathan to lie, and then not only does he encourage Ahimelech, not, not only does he lie right to the priest and say, "Hey, give me some bread. I'm on a special mission. I can't tell you what I am." But and, and, and by the way, do you have any weapons? And he lies again, uh, you know, about why he doesn't have weapons. And then he sees uh, Goliath's weapon, the enemy, the enemy's tool. He sees the enemy's tool right there and says, "That's the, that's what I need." I don't, I don't need anything else. I need your, your five loaves of bread that I would confiscate in a lie, and I need uh, what, what the enemy has used as a tool. I'll, I'll take that. That, that, should, that should fare me very well in, in this moment. And David takes it. And David, then David arose, and he fled that day before Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. So, so he lies, and he lies, and then he grabs a sword, and now he's running to Achish, right? Uh, king of Gath. This is... Philistine land, all right, and, and, and he's fleeing in fear, and, and his mind is telling him that the only place, Saul, that you will, or David, that you will be uh, protected, the only place that, that Saul might not come for you is right within the enemy's territory, and that, that's, that's, what his, that's what his intellect is telling him right now. It's crazy, when, when, when we allow fear to take over our mind, we could do some crazy we can make some crazy decisions in the heat of the moment. And we'll look back at that and be like, did I really do that? Did I say that? I? In the moment of fear, I mean, fear takes over, right? And, and so fear is taking over David's decision-making. And so and the servants, uh, so it says, this would be a great place for me to hide. But it, I mean, you got to think of David coming into Achish, right? Right? Coming into and before the king of Gath. Now, Goliath was probably about three, maybe three times the size of David, right? I, I, I mean, he's walking into, uh, he's walking into Achish, uh, king of Geth, he's, with this sword that I can only imagine is dragging behind him. It's probably about the same height as him. And so he looks ridiculous. He's got he's to look ridiculous. I mean, we, we have a full description of, of uh, Goliath's armor, 
His, you know, that, you know his, his spear that he had. I mean, I'm sure his sword was much like his spear. I'm sure it was huge. And I'm sure David just looks like an absolute fool. But he's got a sword. You know, that's what he wanted. He wanted a sword. So he's, he shows up with this huge sword, probably dragging behind him or at least slung over his shoulder because he can't carry it normally. It's not going to fit in any, you know, sword sheath that he might have across his, his waist. Um, and, and it doesn't take long uh, for people to connect the dots. Um, and, and, it, and the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of, of, of the land? Uh, I'm sorry. Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of him to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? Now David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. It's kind of like his cunning plans kind of just ran out. And he just realized that, that all of a sudden, I don't know, maybe he was just thinking, hey, I, I blew one over, we got Saul's heart. I blew one over on Ahimelech. I blew one over again on Ahimelech. And, and now he, he, he's here, and, and just in a moment, it's just like God allows him to be like stripped of his cunningness. And he's just like, how did you know it was me? What gave, what gave me away? Maybe it was the 10-foot sword, and you're only like a 6-foot fellow. I don't know what gave you away, but, but none, nonetheless, people are, are very well aware of who David is. Is and 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 because they figured out who David was, he was afraid. He was he was more afraid than he already was. He was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So, um, uh, so he changed his behavior before them. Pretended madness in their hands. Scratched at the doors of the gate and let his saliva fall down on his beard. And then Achish said to his servants, "Look, you see, the man is insane. Why have you brought him to me?" Have I need of a madman that, that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? Um, again, we, just, we see David trusting in some temporary fix instead of trusting in the Lord. You know, I mean, and, and he just played the madman. He put a band-aid on the situation and, and you know, Apparently he had one, you know, ace left up his sleeve because, you know, the Lord allowed Achish to really believe that he was mad and they kicked him out. Um, and, and then, we'll, and we're going we're gonna to end here. Um, and then David, therefore, he departed from there and he escaped into the cave of Adullam. And so when his brothers and all of his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented, they gathered to him. So he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. We're seeing David's life kind of spiral out of control. And we've all had moments in our lives when we felt like things are spiraling out of control. You know, the, it, it's, 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 it's almost kind of funny how the Lord's working here. Instead of sending... Instead of sending David an army of healthy, young, well-endowed men financially, you know, he sends him a couple brothers, a couple familiar faces, but he sends him about 400 people that are broke. They have nothing to give David. They're discontented. 
just a, a, a motley crew of nothing nice. I mean, and, 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 you know, you look at that situation and you would, you would say, you know, Lord, why, why not send him some, some meat? <laughs> send him his brother. Send him 400 men that are rich and wealthy, that are full. They have t- weapons to spare and, and have them come with hundreds of cattle and, and, and tons of livestock. And then you'll just start this army of 400 and, boy, you better look out. That's not how the Lord works. You know, this, this small despising start, right? With, with, with David feeling ashamed, scared, right? And then having 399 or four other, 400 other men come that are broke. They can't offer any, um, you know, financial help. You know, he brings them all together and say, David, I want to see you do great things with this mess that I'm going to give you. You know, I read that and I think to myself, though, you know what? That was David's story. I have similar stories. I wish that I could tell you guys that I knock it out of the park every day. I know Rob and Pastor Kevin and the other guys that I've hung out with for long enough, they know I don't knock it out of the park. I'm filled with mistakes. I fall short daily. You know, I'm not worthy to be up here with a microphone, with a Bible. I'm not worthy to have the Holy Spirit dwell within me. If I were the Holy Spirit, I would run as far and as fast as away from me as I possibly could, you know? But he does. He loves us. And even when we're in the lowest moments of our life, and, and we feel like there's just no possible way, there's no hope, and we're afraid and we don't know how it's going to end, Man, those are beautiful moments for the Lord. And he just sits back and he just wants to do wonderful things. And, I, you know, as I was preparing this message, I, I just, I love this point of David's life. You know, I, I love it because I, you know, so often we hear the glorious stories of David, but David had some really hard years. And we do too. You know, as we went, venture through this Christian life, we have these hard stories. And I was preparing for this message, and I knew how it would kind of end. And I kind of had my notes kind of jotted up, and, and Pastor Robert was just like, hey, by the way, we're going to do communion. And I was like, praise the Lord. You know, what better opportunity to just go before the Lord? We're going to share some communion right now. Um, Sarah's going to come back up, maybe with Pastor Robert to lead us in the story. But what better opportunity than to, to, to dive into these verses and realize that no matter where you are in your walk with the Lord, no matter whether or not you're walking through a season similar to what David was going through, you know, whether you've come out of that, whether you're entering into trial in the midst of it, just it, there, there's, there's, there's hope. There's hope in what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. It isn't finished. I love that verse where he says he has started a good work and he's going to finish. I love it because there's no I in there at all. He started it and he will be faithful to finish it. We just have to remain humbled and keeping our eyes on the Lord Jesus. So we're going to take these elements. Come on up. Self-serve, right? Are you going to hand them out? Self-serve? Self-serve. Come on up. Grab the elements. Uh, let let, let um, Pastor Robin Sarris lead us in, in a worship song. Come up. Grab them. Um, and, and just hold them and give, give the Lord thanks. You know, maybe, maybe give him thanks that you're not in season, but, but, but you know, if, if you are, just, just give him thanks um, to, to know that he's never going to leave you or forsake you. And no matter how hard a season might be for you, that, that there is hope and that he sees you with him in heaven glorified and perfect. You know, amen? So let's grab these uh, elements. We'll, we'll sing the song together, and then as the Lord leads you, take them. Amen?